Sandos, Mike Gallagher, basketball is back. We had games, three for the ETSU men, one for the ETSU women. Matter of fact, the women have a big one coming up tomorrow, SEC. Big question is, will Mike Gallagher be in attendance or not? Does he even know the answer? <laughs> well, you have to be in testing protocol to be in attendance, courtside, in the buffer zone as well, inside Thompson Bowling Arena. There's four rows that separate the common folk and then people that are working the game or are allowed to be in the buffer zone. I have been getting up at uh, 7 o'clock. You're proud of me, I'm sure. As an early riser yourself and yes, me. Yes, I'm surprised you've seen that. As not as much of an early riser. 7 o'clock looks kind of different than, than most times of day. Um, so I've done that for the last couple of weeks. I uh, have tested negative all the way through. Don't have my result from yesterday yet because that's when they tested. But uh, fingers crossed they were able to get me in the door, even though the SEC – as a general rule, is not allowing visiting radio this year. Maybe this is more of a conversation for pros versus Jays, but they have been able to make an exception because I am SID, also broadcaster. I was going to be sitting there anyway. So sitting there broadcasting versus not broadcasting, they did the right thing, I think. Are they uh, requiring you to wear a mask? Yes, they are, but they're not requiring me to wear a face shield like at Longwood with the mask, so I'm thankful for so, that. So what was crazy was they, they said we had to wear a mask at the, the tournament. We're getting them into it week flawlessly transitioning to men's basketball, and we'll talk women's basketball, pros versus Jays, and uh, I think that's it. We're not going to do anything else today. So, Both yeah, predictions? I, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, oh, I, really? Uh, yeah. Is that right? So, yeah, well, look ah, at that. Interesting. But, but I found it interesting. that So we all tested. I mean, everybody was there. You would test in the morning. You had to sit there 15 minutes, rapid testing. You would tell everybody the team's going to go or not. Everybody, every team that was down there was clean the whole time. It was great. And we get there, and me and oh, – I'm drawing a blank on Abilene Christian's play-by-play guy, great guy from Nashville, and the, the two kids doing the flow sports. And so we're all wearing face shields, doing whatever, uh, you know, and then we get into the game, and I'm probably two media timeouts before I look over, and all of them have dropped the masks. Oh, really? And so just I try to flag down a tournament official, which is very difficult, and considering there's 55 people in the building, you, you think it would be fairly simple to do. But I finally got one over, and they're like, oh, yeah, once you start broadcast sitting here, these tables are 12 feet apart from everybody, and you're actually 10 feet away from the from the sideline. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you, you can do that. And I'm like, well, I needed that memo because the first, you know, couple media timeouts, uh, at least. And after that, I, I did not have to wear one, but we, we were quite a bit uh, a ways from everybody in our own little own little world or whatever. And he said, you know, as soon as you get up, you need to put the mask back on. So if you stood up or did anything else, put the mask on. So that was, that was interesting because I didn't know – uh, obviously, I knew Longwood had its rules. I wasn't sure what everybody else's rules were going to be. It does make a lot of sense, right, because you are so far apart. And I was in the same position where I was midcourt across from the scorer's table. Now, scorer's table at Longwood, there were people like a foot or two apart. They were all side-by-side, side, not a big scorer's table, as it typically isn't at uh, low-major schools such as a big south side like Longwood. But on my side, I had ESPN guys, Brian Rushing, he says hi, uh, one of your oh, buddies. Yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian Rushing was doing the ESPN uh, broadcast. Did with he sing the anthem, Katie too? Pate. No, he did not. He is no. an unbelievable singer. Go I, ahead. I don't think they're doing uh, in-person anthems this they're year not. in a lot of places. But maybe he could if uh, we're, we're it was yeah. such a strange yeah. year. Um, so he was to my right, probably like 10, 12 feet away. And then over to my left, there was a full table of nothingness. 
And then the photographer and I don't know what the young woman at the table next to the photographer was doing, but two people that were clearly more than 10 feet away. And I still the entire time had to wear the mask and the face shield. And I looked at Manny Prusak, who's the athletic trainer for ETSU Women's Basketball, works exclusively with them, smart, capable, exceptional medical professional, does all of our testing. I said, as a medical professional, does this double face covering rule, I guess, whatever you want to call it, um, I I thought it was a little bit of nonsense. They're trying to be safe. I get that. I'm in favor of that. But uh, does it make a lot of sense? She said no. No, it does make a lot of sense to me. I, I admire that Longwood is taking every precaution that they can to make sure that nothing happens um, at their arena. Nobody gets COVID. I'm all in favor of that. Obviously, I want the basketball season to go on as long as possible, deep into March and then April with the NCAA tournament. It was very hot under those two face coverings. So. I did not Andy read it, though. Did not have any fog. I was, oh, that's that was very confusing that's as well. Because was, you have the glasses have as the well, glasses right? and right. the facial. Right. I thought for so sure I'd yeah. be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know I what happened. I can see that. But. All right, uh, that's enough about us. Uh, maybe not. I mean, let's uh, talk more about you in segment three. The pros are shit. So well, okay. for that. Yeah, yeah. I like crushing me. That's funny. All right, let's talk about uh, ETSU men's basketball. The first game, obviously, they play Abilene Christian. Would won twenty-seven games in twenty respectively back-to-back years. Returned nine of ten players, four or five starters. The whole, co- uh, whole coaching staff, and they came out as a well-oiled machine and throttled everybody in the the three. Well, they played over four days. They had they and Omaha, because they had late flight Saturday, agreed to play Saturday morning to let everybody try to get three games in, except for Middle Tennessee, who just said, we'll just play two and be fine with it. So they were unbelievable. Well-oiled machine. I think game one, and there were a lot of people ready to jump off the, the, the dome and, and whatever the highest point they could get to. And I've, I've tried to come everybody. I felt like I was everybody's therapist there for a while. And game one, I think everything – the team you played, playing at a high level, played together so long, understood everything. It was similar to, I think, playing ETSU last year and probably the first couple games where people got buzzsawed by ETSU. I also think it was eye-opening for the staff as well as eye-opening for the players because I think they did some adjustments into, okay, who's doing the substitutions? Okay, Coach Shea, I believe, didn't call the plays the first day. And I think I think it was Coach Heyer looked at him and says, you, 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 you've got to call plays because you were just like – One of the best X's in yes, those minds well, around. We've got to get you into your comfort zone because of how everything is. And then everything got a little better. Um, game two, probably should have beat Austin P, except for the fact that Terry Taylor was an animal. He was ridiculous, over 20 points and 10 boards in every game he played down there. I mean, he was just a man amongst boys. And, you know, there was a little bit – as good as the defense was, I think, the whole time down there. That's the surprising thing I'm going to get to in a second was really how good the defense was. They really wanted not to double Terry on the last shot, and they wanted him to shoot a jump shot, and he did. But he did get doubled. And then they were able to leave ETSU exposed on the glass, offensive rebound put back. Bucks don't get the last second shot in. Of course, they missed a ton of free throws, three front ends and one-on-ones. They missed the two technical free throws. They missed a couple and one opportunities. But the, really the one-on-ones, because if you hit one of them, right, you get another one. So you had an opportunity at six points, you walk away with zero. The two technicals, I mean, you assume you hit those every time. So there was a lot of miscues there. Then we'll go to the last game, and then I'll, then I'll give you my thoughts on the offense and defense. The last game, you know, Middle Tennessee was similar to ETSU. 
and the fact they had so many new players. They were trying to figure it out. They're trying to get their transfers going. The difference is their staff was there, and they had a little more returning. But I always thought that was a, a decent matchup for ETSU just because there were so many new people. Now, I thought Middle Tennessee would be better. Yeah, you and Kevin Brown showed. really nailed that one. That was good. I thought they would be better than what they showed. They were a train wreck. I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, i got to be honest. they they got some issues. I mean, their two best players that gave most people fits were the two big guys down low, and DeAndre Dishman and Tyson Jackson. But they kept wanting to play the, the 6'10 kid from Northwestern and the 6'9", 6'10 other kid, and it just it wasn't working. They You know, against ETSU and really against Abilene Christian, the, the two big guys they had, and then they took with the worst loss in the tournament against Omaha. I mean, they, they, I don't want to rehash that because I don't really talk a whole lot about it. It was Tennessee. incredible, though. It was a, a terrible way to lose a basketball Can we game. just go over it quick for a second? They were up by one with the ball and an out-of-bounds, throw it away, and then foul. <laughs> with seven seconds, <sighs> and they dribble up. They hold the ball, with, and so there's like five seconds. He holds the ball. It's either a five-second count. It's a held ball. They had the possession arrow. He gets fouled. They go shoot free throws. Or you can throw it away, which is what he did. And he throws it away, and then they, they completely knock somebody. I mean, not even a questionable tic-tac foul. I mean, they knock somebody, the leading scorer for Omaha down. He hits two free throws. They go on to win the game by one. So, terrible. So, the middle of Tennessee. But ETSU offensively got better every day. Here's the shocking thing. I would have, as we get into bold predictions you'll hear later, I would have thought the Bucks could have fell out of bed and scored 70 at any moment. Maybe not. 85, 90, 100, but 70. I thought, all right, they can score 70 at will. They did not. And and they struggled to hit open shots, continuity purposes. Again, I think the first game was a little bit of everything. I don't think it was all on the players. I don't think it was all on the coaches. I think it was on everybody having game one. I think everything got better game two. The ball movement, everything was there. They didn't hit as many open shots. Game three, they really didn't hit a lot of open shots, but it got back to what we expect out of ETSU, which is forcing turnovers and points off turnovers. The other thing was rebounding. I really thought ETSU would struggle early to figure out on the glass. And other than Terry Taylor having, you know, just being Terry Taylor, other than him being ridiculous, I thought they did a great job on the glass, great job blocking out. A guy that you're that if you look at his numbers, he's maybe got averaging like two or three boards a game. But if you would see what Vonnie Patterson did, to make sure other guys didn't get the rebound and would leave open for like a Ladarius Brewer to come in and swipe easy boards, you know, come down in there, then, you know, I think Vonnie Patterson's going to do some things that if you're not really paying attention, you would never know how valuable he is to the team. He also, and I don't want to call it a team meeting, but because I think we say team meeting, there's a context there of, of issues or something. I don't think it was, but after game one, you know, Vonnie called everybody to his room, and I think. You know, they talked about, you know, from what I was told, toughness. They just talked about, hey, guys, like, we've got to be mentally tougher than this. And that. So maybe it was a team meeting. I just think if you say team meeting, Mike, you've been around sports, like, you feel like there's yelling, screaming. They're, 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 Closed door meeting. Right, or right. Players they, only they've got to hash some sure. stuff out. So I don't feel like that's the right word. I just feel like that was a senior had been around a lot says, hey, guys, come on over, look, here's the deal. And I think he did a great job of doing it, and I think they came out better. I think you chalk up game one to well-oiled machine versus a team trying to figure it out. Defining roles and just trying yeah. to figure out what each player is going to do next to them. I th- and yeah. having played with each other in a game. What rotation. So many new guys. So I, I, that, that, that was my gut feeling as the, the defense 
is way ahead where I thought it would be. And Coach Shea said on the postgame show, we have spent more time on defense and a lot of time on defense because defense travels. We heard that a lot from C4. So I think if they can continue to play defense the way they are, they can continue to try to rebound, the scoring will come around, and then, you know, ETSU is going to be fine. I just think everyone, I do say, as much as fans really wanted to uh, write everything off after the first game, this is the worst thing I've ever Somebody told me the worst feat I've ever seen. I was like, wow. you, you clearly, clearly don't remember some other games that I don't want to rehash. <laughs> but I, and then, but I it, 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 it did turn. I know a couple of years you're talking about. Oh, trust me. <laughs> it, it cut, but then it turned quickly because everybody next day is like, oh, man, it's good bounce back. And even though the Bucks didn't win, everyone saw it too. And then the third game, everyone's like, okay, here we go. So now you're starting to get a little downhill. That, to me, was the best performance of the week was that Thursday game. I know it's not a win. I know you beat your opponent Friday by 14. But as I talked about on the show uh, on Monday, last Monday, a week ago, uh, that Middle Tennessee State team, and all the optimism you want in the world, but going from eight wins to anything that is in the early season resembling good, they could be totally different two or three months from now, just like the Bucks would be totally different two or three months from now because there's a lot of new people that they're relying on. But in week one, that's always going to be difficult to find any kind of togetherness and any kind of core that's able to do some good things. Um, ETSU figured it out in that game. Uh, certainly on the defensive side, offensively to me was still a little bit rough around the edges, but it was that Thursday game for me. I, to get beat by 23 by what is just right now a better team than ETSU. Like Abilene Christian... We warned about it on Monday. You know, when there's a team that has so much back, especially the guys that they did have back, yes, their top scorer was gone, but everybody else, you're going to have, after the leading scorer leaves, guys that step into and fill those shoes. That, that's not new territory for them because they've been there. They've been together. There's a certain confidence that comes about that, too, where ETSU probably looked around in that first game and said, I just am not sure where our scoring is going to come from. Who should take the shot late in the shot clock? Who do we get the ball to? Uh, can I take this shot or not? And we saw a little bit of that with the ETSU women's basketball team, too, and their opener that we'll talk about here in a second. But you go from getting outscored by 30 beyond the arc in game one to hitting nine threes and outscoring the opponent, Austin P by 18 from beyond the arc. You know, 10 threes down to plus six in threes. Um, free throw is still concerning. You know, that's something that improved last year. Still didn't get to the level I'm sure that um, Coach Shea and, at the time, Coach Forbes would have liked. But 9 of 18 in that game, not crazy about that. But Ladarius Brewer, you got the ball in his hands in that second game, and he showed what he can do. And without a superhuman effort, playing all 40 minutes from Terry Taylor, you're winning that game. And that's a... Big, big victory across the mid-major landscape because Austin P is a team that is going to make a lot of noise, and there's just no two ways about that. Uh, in the third game, and this is the one point that I really want to make, Ladarius Brewer, I've harped on it from podcast one through our keys to the game, through our highlight packages, so on and so forth. He needs to get the ball so, so much for this offense to click the way it needs to. Now, did it click the way it needs to? Uh, on Friday, only to the extent that they got the win, right? Their opponent scored 43 points, great defense. Offensively, they scored 57. Uh, you're going to need to score more than that going forward. But I think Ladarius was 0 for his first 6. I think he had – did he score before halftime? I think he went like the first 18 or 19 minutes without a point and then scored right before halftime. 
But they kept giving him the ball. He, I don't want to call it selfish because that, like you said, negative connotation, right? But he started taking the ball and forcing the issue a little bit. And when you have someone that is that advanced of a scorer, that has in the past sometimes been labeled as a volume scorer, um, but I think is becoming more polished as he goes along in his college career, he needs those shots because eventually that ball is going to find the bottom of the net. And it did for him. I think he started 0-6, he finished 7 of 19. Okay, that's going 7 for your last 13. That's above 50%. Now, overall, it's not the best percentage that you've ever seen, but when you needed buckets in these three days, it was Ladarius Brewer. And, and it's just not surprising in any way. I was encouraged by Silas Hideki, uh, to be quite honest. Um, looking at his numbers at Northern Kentucky and looking at even some of the practices he's had here at ETSU, uh, not sure that he was going to be someone that offensively you were going to be able to get 8 to 10 points per game from. And that second game against Austin P, he was – uh, a little bit quiet, but uh, you look at the first and last games, you know, 6.6 rebounds and then 8.7 rebounds. If you can get that on a night-by-night -night basis from Silas Hideke, you are going to have a real asset in the post and someone that you can count on, and it gives me hope for this team that 57 points, 66 points, and 47 points is not the max, right? There's there's a long way to go offensively, and I think there's a lot of potential to grow offensively because I was like you. I thought it was going to be some 85-75 games, you know, 80-72, to 72, whatever the case may be. It wasn't, and that's actually all right in my book because you know, having watched them, I know having watched them, that they can score. They've got some talent on this team, and the fact that the defense isn't lagging, to me, that says – better things than if the two units were where we thought they would be because that means they can defend that means they can win low scoring games and when that offense does start to click when roles are defined and the ball is in the right hands at the right times this team is going to be dangerous i think you know the the post play too i think richard omafule and adeke are both going to get better i think you know they had a tough matchup in in game two and both got in foul trouble so you didn't see a, a lot of them and i think it showed that etsu not really getting the two centers that they've been playing at the five position there kind of hurt. But I think that, that will that will come around. And when those guys are on the floor, I mean, Terry Taylor was the OVC player of the year last year. He's the preseason player of the year this year. They're tied for first with Murray State as far as who's going to win the OVC. Aberlin Christian was picked two behind Stephen F. Austin, which the Buck fans know all about and has played uh, a memorable game with them not too long ago. So um, I think you look at those two teams – and to see the improvement very quickly from one game to another, I, I think was why everyone calmed down. And I think they should, and I think it was there. And Middle Tennessee, when you look at it, probably should be a win. I mean, nobody knew going into it. Um, and I would have said, yeah, I think ETSU could beat Middle because I thought that's who they would want to play first to at least try to get something going before they had to play the other two teams. And I'm curious if ETSU could have had Middle the first game, you know, then what happens as they go? I still don't think they beat Everling Christian. They probably don't lose by 23. I'm just going to be honest with you. After watching them for for two two and a half games, I don't know they may going to beat Everling Christian um, down in that tournament at least this week. Maybe down the road, but right now not. So, uh, very excited about all that. I think three point shooting will come around. I think field goal percentage will come around. I'm a firm believer. You've heard me say this on air. I don't know how much said on the podcast, but. If the first couple threes go down, it's contagious. If the first few free throws go down, it's contagious. And when the first two technical free throws didn't go down, Austin P kind of knew it was going to be a bad day. And there are a lot of guys that are good free throw shooters that will bounce back. And I have no uh, 
issues thinking that they will bounce back. And, I mean, I think, what was it, 14 of 17 against Abilene Christians, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good number. Obviously, the 9 of 18 and then 9 of 12. Oh, that was Middle Tennessee. I'm sorry. 13 of 19. And that was, that was a miss there late that I was kind of a head-scratching. I think it was Sloan maybe. but 13 of 19, though, probably where this team is going to be on a lot of nights. Right, right at of 19, 70, and that's right. what I thought. I thought right at 70 is, is probably going to be right. So 13 of 19, you get one more, you're right there. Obviously, it's just that game two, and it costs you in game two. But I think all of that, again, led to a great learning experience. And playing three straight days probably wasn't that bad. I think I think Coach Shea after game one was like, nah, I'd rather have time to work on stuff. But after game two, he's like, you know, maybe, maybe it's good for those guys to just, you know, after 23 points, go out there and play again. I don't know if this team has a great three-point shooter, but they're going to shoot a lot better than 22% from outside. They were 16 of 72 from deep in that tournament. They're, uh, they're going to shoot a lot Monsanto better Monsanto for sure. Correct. And that's exactly where I was going with that was a lot of people viewed DeMar Monsanto as the – Borderline number two, probably number three scorer on this team, and he went six of 26 and three of 18 from outside. There's some rust there, and he's going to shake that off. Uh, Keep in mind, that was also his collegiate debut. So there's a lot of moving parts early on in the season, especially with a new team, especially with guys that haven't played game action in quite some time. Um, In the case of Ladarius Brewer, who I didn't think looked very rusty at all, quite honestly, just trying to find himself in terms of what he was going to be allowed to do, how much leash he had. Is he the guy, quote-unquote, and coming to terms with that and adjusting his play to fit that? Um, but like Damari Monsanto, you know, not having played in a game, um, a collegiate game in his life, and not having played in a competitive game against an opponent in, you know, two years or whatever it would have been. So he's going to figure it out, and that's where the offense is going to start to come around. Better shooting from outside. Uh, I think free throws are about where they'd be. They're not going to shoot 35% this year. That's going to come up, too, and I think a lot of that is going to come when Demario Monsanto gets more comfortable out there. Well, and I'll tell you, he's, he's probably the best pro prospect. Not saying, obviously, he's getting drafted, but he's one of the best pro prospects ETSU has. Size, length, can dribble, shoot, rebound. He's got to get better defensively. Who doesn't as a freshman? But he's, even a red shirt. But he's got to get better there. But being six seven and just watching him handle the basketball, and then to watch him go get some tough rebounds when he needed to, I mean, he's got a lot of tools that I think could get him noticed. And especially red shirt last year. This year didn't really count. I mean, if he stayed, you know, I don't know. I don't know about staying all four years because if you're a pro, you're probably not going to stay all four years. But by the time he left here, he certainly has a shot to be a player of the year candidate and to maybe bring one home for ETSU because, again, he can do so many different things. And I think the shot will come around when it's all said and done. So, all right, that's my thoughts on men's basketball. Uh, we won't really talk a whole lot about them until oh, Friday, right? Next we'll year. talk a little bit about them Friday. I've got some stats that I've been sitting on for quite some time that I'd like to throw at you, but uh, it'll okay. be more brief because they don't play again until right. the... Unless there's a game added nobody knows about. The, the, the eighth. Eighth. That's right. They UNCA. play at UNCA yeah. is the next game, which is the next Tuesday. So, yeah, eight days from now. So, All right, we'll step aside for a time. Let's talk about the ETSU women's basketball team. Big road win to open up this 2021 basketball season. We'll step aside for a time. Up to your words, Santa Sidekick Buccaneer, Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. 
Bright Ridge. New name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. the sidekick Buccaneer Sports Network segment two on a Monday, Monday after Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving, buddy? Uh, Did you get to have a traditional meal down there? Or is they, that not? They, there, was a, there was a catered meal. Um, it was good. It was good. I, I liked it. Uh, ham, turkey, you know, mashed potatoes, green beans, but it was, you know, in big foil buffet-style things. And, you know, being a 2020 Thanksgiving. Hey, and, and, and here was the problem. It was my wife sending me pictures all day of the food being cooked <laughs> by my mother-in-law and what it was like and pictures of the plate and the desserts and the second so but no it, it was good I, I did eat all the dessert or uh, leftovers yesterday so that was good but uh it was good it was good you know we're playing basketball i'm so excited about it i, I, I don't know what you do what did you do i don't even remember i worked the game here went back i had ham not a turkey guy so i had ham mm-hmm. uh cheese and potatoes i mean just mm-hmm. second to none and then bought a bunch of cake from a, a restaurant that I can't name on air because they're not a sponsor, but it was delicious. So props to our unnamed restaurant that I will not name on air because they have not sponsored us. Yeah. Well, okay. uh, I'll hold it over their head maybe and one they day. Will. And like, yeah, that was, that's right. that was we would talk cake. about you on air. The cake. We were talking about food. We would drive the needle. Just throwing it out there. Yes, drive the needle. Very good. Yeah. Each has your women's basketball eat together so on Thanksgiving. Let me, let, before you get in your full breakdown. Yeah, please. I sat down to watch the game this morning when I got up. Uh-huh. And thought, well, I'll watch the first half, and I may or may not be able to watch the second half. But I didn't really get through the first couple of minutes in the first quarter before, because I knew the result. I went ahead and fast forward a little bit to something I wanted to see. That was, uh, what were you thinking uh, with face shield, mass, driving up there, the, the first few there, and then you give me the rest of your, your – Try not down. to pass out because it was so hot underneath those face coverings, and the gym was warm, and it just was – I was in self uh, – Avoid self harm mode at that point. I, was, I just need to stay alive through uh, through this broadcast and, and not be the guy that passes out in the middle of the broadcast that lost his breath and is hauled out on a stretcher um, because he was just so hot and out of breath. Um, not a good start, you know. And, and this is much like ETSU men's basketball uh, versus Abilene Christian that first day. Now, this was a Longwood team that had a lot back. Kyla McMakin is the Big South freshman of the year, led the conference in scoring. Uh, Ann Hamilton Leroy was their second leading scorer, double-digit scorer last year. Adriana Ship, from what I understand, talking to people at Longwood, she was injured last year, redshirted, but if that wasn't the case, she would have been a starter day one. Um, and so she's someone that they really like. Tradesia Smith set a school record for assists last year, led the conference in assists at six and a half a game. And then there's Akila Smith, who was the disruptive force for Longwood, really especially early on. And you can see that, I'm sure, if you watch the first few minutes, um, she jumped higher than I have seen any ETSU women's basketball opponent jump and was quicker to that jump, a little bit Terry Taylor-like for the ETSU men's basketball side where he could just elevate, get up, get the rebound before you even knew that the shot was missed. And that was Akila Smith as well. Uh, she is just a freak athlete and super talented. She's had a great first couple of games, another double-double. She's two for two in that. She had a double-double against Duke as well. 
a Duke team that has made 23 of the last 25 NCAA tournaments on the women's side. Um, and so she had 17 and 10 that day, 14 and 13 against DTSU, and especially early, the Bucks could not get an offensive rebound. It was 8 to 2 Longwood in offensive rebounds, and that was only like six or seven minutes into the game. Um, so in the first few minutes, I was concerned. There's no doubt the Lancers put that press on, and it forced a couple of bad turnovers, and they got baskets off that, and it was 18 to 6. And I was kind of scratching my head because, as you and I have talked about, we're both in agreement that this team is going to be a lot better than it was last year. And so for that start to unfold the way it did, um, I would be lying to you if I wasn't a little hot under the collar and not just from the face shield and the mask. I think the the way it started could have easily turned, you know, the other way <clears throat> because just – you're on the road. It's 2020. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a hashtag. It really is a thing. And uh, I just feel like the way it started, you got going. You could see some things. But gritty win, toughness. I think that's what Coach Zell's always tried to do is toughness. I think uh, me and her texted back and forth after the win. We, we go into the Randy Sanders personality flaw where we really enjoy winning on the road. And you know, Even with you. no fans. Uh, no, no, those cardboard cutouts couldn't walk out disappointed. I can I, tell you that. I'm I'm petty. I still like people going home, uh, you know, back to their apartment and, you know, stewing for the next three or four hours as opposed to the bus ride and you celebrate the bus. Because it's always better on the bus. So you think the stuff always bears been. were walking home to their apartment? I don't, I don't, so I don't like, know. There's nobody there. I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, somebody was mad. <laughs> I still true, like winning yeah. on the road. Still like winning on the road. So the way it started, but I think the way it started, you know, besides like, okay, uh, here, you know, we get going. And you certainly can't have a game run away from you in the first quarter. It didn't get to that point. It just got to where, okay, we've got to settle down. We've got to figure it out. People, even though you turn some starters, there's still some new pieces to the puzzle. You've got to figure out the press certainly, at least early, created some issues. And I think that helped because in the fourth quarter, when it got to a situation, you know, ETSU I think was up six or something, maybe they hit the – I think they hit a three, right? Yeah, Mikhail Daldale yep. hit a three, put him up six. And then all of a sudden comes storming back um, was Longwood to tie it at 51, and that's where ETSU really started to you know come come down, rebound, layup. It seemed like a broken record. It was a rebound, good look shot, layup, another here in the layup. And it was a situation where doing it defensively, getting a one and done, you know, for the Lancers, not giving up second opportunity, coming down and then, you know, when you read stat sheet and it says layup, 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 obviously executing the offense well, um, or rather dribble drive, or they execute an offense, either way, one shot on one end, layups on the other end, and that's how good basketball teams went on the road. About midway through the first quarter, I was concerned. You get to the end of the first quarter, and I was actually really encouraged because you had all the mistakes, 11 turnovers, uh, couldn't do a lot right offensively in general, uh, you'd given up 18 points in the first, you know, five, six minutes. And you look up at the scoreboard, and it's 18 to 10. And you're only down eight. And that was the moment that I knew that this game was going to be close and competitive the entire way, and ETSU had a chance to win because they withstood the storm. They looked at the person next to them and said, we're not going to fold in this game. This is day one. This is game one. We have to answer the bell. And they did answer the bell. And they came together, and they out-toughed Longwood. They got every loose ball. Makai Dowdell drew three charges, uh, and it felt like five or six. Um, everything that was in the air after Akilah Smith dominated the early portion of the game, 
the Bucks got. Uh, 42 rebounds for Longwood, 52 for ETSU. They looked like they were going to get badly outworked on the boards. And then Kaya Upton has a career high with eight rebounds. And freshman Amani Williams grabs five. I, I'm not going to lie, I was concerned about Ja'Kaya Davis and her ability to um, pull in boards. Um, I think she is tremendously gifted offensively. I'm not sure I saw her on day one grabbing three offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter, difference-making offensive rebounds and getting five on the game time for second on the team. But it was a total team effort. The only people that didn't have a rebound were Abby Carrington and Kelly Post, and they played three minutes and 20 seconds combined. Everybody else had at least one rebound, and nine of the ten had multiple rebounds. Everybody crashed the glass. And the Bucks did all of this with Shania Jackson and Elise Stafford playing a combined 28 minutes, 41 seconds, going two of nine from the field and scoring six points. Shania Jackson didn't score. At least Stafford I, I, eight I, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I, sh- I was going to say something, and you said that, and it stopped me dead in my tracks. I'm looking at the step. You're correct. I, mean, I, know, Stafford, I know you knew that. but At least Stafford's preseason all-conference, the eight, favorite eight, undoubtedly. Eight turnovers. Did. Five of them were travels. Yeah. Undoubtedly, the favorite to lead this team in scoring. She has eight turnovers, six points, all of them coming in the third quarter, uh, was saddled with foul trouble as well, and she still – was able to give you something in that third quarter, do a few other things, and the Bucks, without their top two returning scorers, Jackson and Stafford doing almost anything at all, overcame that and put up 62 points. Um, for day one, yes, 32 turnovers is horrendous. I don't know if I've ever seen a team turn over 32 times, let alone do that and win. You obviously have to clean up that area. But almost everything else I look and say, what a hard-fought win, and there's almost nothing for me to be upset about outside of those turnovers. I, I think you look at, and you mentioned Davis, three offensive rebounds. Those three offensive rebounds came in the fourth quarter. Yep. And then free throw shooting, you know, for whatever reason, you got some officials at least let you play as opposed to some games where we've seen each team shoot 25 or more free throws. You know, you were at least uh, kept people down. But seven to ten in the fourth quarter from the charity stripe. Three or four for Dowdell, one or two for Kyle Upton, Amaya Adams, one or two, and then Davis, two of two. So – Good basketball teams hit free throws in the fourth quarter. Good basketball teams get second-chance opportunities in the fourth quarter. Good teams stop teams from having second-chance opportunities by grabbing some defensive rebounds, especially in a run, right? And there was some frantic towards the end where there was a couple long rebounds and this, that, and other. But for the most part, when it was time to put the game away, only one shot for Longwood on one end and the Bucks going down and executing on the other end and even getting some points off turnovers. I think um, – Adam, somebody had a steal on a layup during that. But anyway, I, I was I was impressed with the grittiness of the team. And you're right, really the only thing that, that sticks out, you look at some of the the percentages and the, and the numbers overall, you know, 38% shooting, 25 from three. And that's been a little bit of the bugaboo for the women's team last couple of years. But 25%, you know, if they stay right around 30, to me that's fine. I know they were 10 of 16 from the free throw line, but 7 of 10 when it counted in the fourth quarter, 52 rebounds, 52-42 there, and then the 32, that just jumped. 12 steals, but that's you know, that's, that's what they do, 12, 12, 15 steals a game. And they locked down those two players I called out when I was going through that lineup for Longwood. Yes, there's Hamilton Leroy, who had a good second half, and Akilah Smith, who had a very good first quarter, and Tredasia Smith, who's the point guard. She had a couple of threes, but the two big ones, Kyla McMakin and Adriana Ship. They will not have another game like that throughout the rest of the year. I can almost guarantee it. Three of 29 combined from the floor. And Kyla McMakin has absolutely no conscience. 
you know, shooters got to shoot and scorers are going to shoot themselves out of slumps. She didn't that day. Two of 19. I think she was one of 15 in the first half. Well, and she got her shot blocked three times, too. Ja'Kai Davis, Amani Williams, Elise Stafford, each with a blocked shot as well. So three of those 19 shots didn't go anywhere or at least got deflected and, and uh, sent a different direction. It was one of the more impressive defensive performances that I've seen. Uh, Amaya Adams guarded her a lot of the day. and Amaya led. She didn't start, but she did lead ETSU in bench minutes with 25. Starting five was Shania, Makaya, Elise, Kaya, and Jasmine Sanders. Uh, I think you and me, as we talked about starting lineups, definitely could have seen that as an option. Not sure if that will be what it is going forward um, because the depth really showed through. I, there's a lot of players that can start on this team. Ja'Kia Davis led the team in scoring, as we'll talk about in bold predictions, fantastically. Uh, 13 points, 5 rebounds, so she came off the bench 20 minutes. Is she someone that slides into the starting lineup? This is just a different team than the last couple of years because with like an Erica Haynes-Overton and Micah Sheets, you know, they had to have really good games. At least Stafford, Shania Jackson once, um, Erica Haynes-Overton was hurt last year. They had to step up and have really, really good games. Uh, they had bad games, flat-out bad games. They would tell you that themselves. Coach Zell said that. Um, but depth is not something this team has had the last couple of years. And you look up and down the roster now. The only player that didn't play was Shante Brown. She's still recovering from that knee injury. But... 12 bucks played, and you got contributions from nearly all of them. Um, Courtney Moore played some good minutes. You know, she at times looked like that player that I think you and I think she can be, the smooth-flowing offensive force, um, and she did a couple of different things. You know, she hit the glass with three rebounds. You know, she had a couple points, a couple of assists. Uh, Ja'Kai Davis was passing out of the high post really well. Imani Williams, exactly what I thought she'd be, uh, played calm, composed within herself, didn't demand a lot offensively. Maybe a little bit of an ill-advised step-back 16-footer, but that was her only miss, and she had five rebounds. Carly Hooks, ill-advised three from about 25 feet early in the shot clock in transition. But this is day one, and these freshmen are trying to, much like the ETSU men, these players that are making their debuts, trying to figure out what they can and can't do, what's acceptable on the court to Coach Zell and what isn't, what is their game at the collegiate level versus what it was like at the high school level or wherever they were previously because for Jasmine Sanders and Makai Dodell, it's been a long time since they played collegiate basketball. So all in all, uh, gritty, gutty win um, to be able to get that victory going into two very tough SEC opponents in Tennessee, obviously, on Tuesday and going to Vanderbilt one week from Tuesday. Hugely important, especially for the psyche of this team because much like with ETSU men's basketball, something we didn't talk about a whole lot, if you had to sit on that loss for the men and go 0-3 those first three days for 11 days until your next game, uh, yes, you'd have a lot to work on, and you could go into practice and really get after it, but you'd be very demoralized. Uh, any team would, let alone a team that is trying to figure themselves out. Same with ETSU women's basketball with nine players that haven't played for them before. They really needed to get this victory and overcome some adversity, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, the one game of the first three that you would call um, you know, needed to be in the win column. Now, obviously, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, it would be great if they pulled those upsets uh, on a given year, probably a loss, SEC opponents, right? They're going in to win. That's the only way to go in. Um, but you're probably looking at, if you look objectively, one and two in these first three. Uh, if you look at the schedule before the season started, and so you got that one win, and now pressure's off going into Tennessee and Vanderbilt, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, no shame losing at Tennessee, Vanderbilt, any of those. So certainly I think every fan 
for the most part, you could have you know a couple crazies go. Well, maybe we can go two and one. But for the most part, one and two, and if something else happens, it'd be great. I'm pulling for it. Don't get me wrong. And I'm sure I'm glad Coach Zill doesn't listen to this. So that way, (laughs) I'm sure she'd yell at us. But you know, that's that's what you would do. And so I think that's there now. How do you play an intense game? How do you play an Vanderbilt game? That could change how you feel about it. But as it gets going for for Courtney Moore, I, I I think I told you this. This would be a tough stretch for her because game one tough to figure out how to get your shot off in college it's just different people are longer they're faster game speed she'll figure it out she'll be fine you can't score that many points and not figure it out the next two games people are going to be taller longer faster than her it's going to be tough for her to get going how will jakai davis how will some of these freshmen in their first hopefully she not jackson bounces back hopefully Lee stafford bounces back wouldn't be shocked to see if there was a slight change in the lineup, and my only prediction would be maybe Amaya Adams starts, get Sanders off the bench for some scoring punch. Other than that, I think you may see the same starting five, and again, that would be the only slight thing I could see maybe Coach doing, um, just seeing like, hey, maybe we'll get Adams out there a little more for defense, Sanders a little more for offense later, who knows. Sanders is long, though, and so it just, it just depends on defensively what is Coach Zell thinking. But this is a situation we get to go down to Knoxville. You know, for a lot of a lot of ladies, there were two programs growing up that are the, the, the cream of the crop. It's it's Tennessee, it's UConn. You get to play one of those storied programs. And a week later, you get to play a solid women's basketball program, not to those levels, but still a team that has tradition and has won a lot of games in the SEC and in NCAA tournaments before. So next uh, couple games, challenging. What are your expectations for the team? I really just think you have to go out and still figure out, much like ETSU men's basketball did, you know, where the line is, right? Like, if you take this shot, is Coach Zell going to give you the hook, right? Do you defer in a certain situation, or is it all right if, you know, you do your thing with the shot clock winding down? In transition, you know, is it okay to pull up from 25 feet? You know, probably not. Yeah, let's move the ball. Let's play together. It's going to be important, even in these games, uh, because obviously you're a massive underdog, but to look at the five on the floor, if you're one of those five on the floor, say, all right, let's put forth our best effort, not get discouraged, and work to get the good basket, the good shot. It's not going to go in every time. It's going to be disrupted a lot of the time because Tennessee, once again, has, I think, two players that are shorter than six feet tall. Uh, that's four years in a row now they've had two or less uh, that are not six feet. So size is going to be a big thing. What are the positives that you can take from these games and go and make sure you're finding those it's so important for young teams to stay up when you get that win and then if you do take back-to-back losses uh, nobody's saying that's how it'll happen but if that is the case um, then as you're going into that next game which right now is scheduled to be Presbyterian uh, who knows game to game who knows if the Tennessee and Vanderbilt games will even be played you know we just don't know in 2020 but if Presbyterian is your next game take the lessons that you learned whether you win or lose against Tennessee and Vanderbilt and make sure that you're applying those. So expectation would just be keep your head up the entire time, go in to win the game, go into it with the same mentality that you did on day one, but also take some of the lessons that you learned on day one into those games against Tennessee and Vanderbilt and compete. Go out and compete and don't let the stage be too big for you, which is easier said than done for those freshmen that are playing in game number two. For say, Micaiah Dowdell or Jasmine Sanders that, yes, have been around the collegiate game but are still working their way into blue and gold. And for an Elise Stafford, uh, get yourself on track. Same with Shania Jackson. These are big games for those two because 
there were high expectations and a lot placed on their shoulders this year. And in game one, they disappointed, just flat out. Um, but this is a great opportunity for them against better opponents, good competition, to show their teammates, show themselves, most importantly, show Coach Zell that they are here for the team. They are here to contribute to a winner this year. And if they can do that, I think that's success coming out of these two games. Game time, 7 p.m., 6.30, airtime on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Uh, and Mike will be in attendance for yeah, that buddy. contest. So we'll have him courtside. For that, you'll run into uh, another guy I know, if, if you're running the TV crew, which I don't think will be in the building, but Roger Hoover. Roger Hoover. Right. Running right. over Raj, so. Does the uh, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, I think, in uh, the summer? Yeah, or whatever name it. They changed it double again. A. I hope it's it is Jacksonville. Shrimp. It is double A. They yeah. were the Suns. The Jumbo, Jumbo Shrimp. Shrimps. Yeah, they've changed names quite a bit. Uh, also, he's from Kingsport, just up there oh, okay. too. So, uh, and uh, no Mickey Deerstone apparently. Brian Rice is going to sit in for him. It's disappointing. Disappointing. Michael Mickey. <laughs> you sound disappointed. I do. That's unfortunate. <laughs> All right, what's up for a timeout? Would we come back? What do we got? Pros versus Jays. After this timeout, Santa Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope Scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun. Worst segment I ever came up with. <laughs> Crows versus Jays, where we match up Jay Sandos versus those of greatness around the broadcasting world. And this has to be a best of Golf Coast Showcase. No other way to go about Pros oh. versus Jays. The very first, if you have anything from the first game, I was way, the, the, first, the eight plus months off, even I was like, oof, that was a brutal broadcast. The game was brutal, and probably that didn't help either, but that was a brutal broadcast. So I can't imagine what you have from there, and hopefully I got better. Well, let's just start with, I believe it was game one, or this might be game two. Now, uh, there is oftentimes silence used as theater in broadcasting, and certainly there is a place for it, such as this moment as we go to our pro in Pros vs. Jays. Many doubted we ever see it, but here it is.
you want to listen to all two minutes and 30 seconds of nothing from Jim Nance? Here, first of all, you compare me to Jim Nance. I'll just go, go ahead. Chase. This is Chase. This is Chase. All right, go ahead. Okay. No, no we can get it. We, oh, get no, it. You, you know, no, we don't need to hear it. Anymore. I might just keep it as a lull yeah, in the background. Yeah. So that was Tiger Woods, of course, winning mm-hmm. the 2019 Masters. Um, still, for me, one of the more... I don't mean to out myself as an emotional guy, but you probably figured it out by now. Uh, one of the more emotional sports moments for me, just because it was the write-off of Tiger being done for, what, a decade or however long it was, and, and then all of a sudden the ascension back to the top. I don't know if I loved uh, – Jimmy there. I don't know if I loved Jim Nance's called Return to Glory. Solid, no doubt. Uh, I did enjoy all the headlines, and granted, you get to think about what you're going to write for a headline in newspapers and such, but remastered and, you know, roaring back was the master's tweet uh, with this uh, with this call. I don't know. Still no Jim. Okay. So, oh, so you got a tiger chant. So this is the TV call. It's not my fault. 50 people are in the stand. We're not getting to you yet. Uh, the radio call, Mike Tirico. Um, Have you ever heard golf on the radio? I have. It's unbelievable. So... No. Tariko um, honestly calling this was about the first time that I had Jim. Okay, no Jim still. Uh, Tariko calling that putt was pretty much the the first time I had heard, heard golf on the radio. And I'm not a, from the south, from the area, so I never heard NASCAR on the radio either. NASCAR on the radio is pretty incredible. Oh. Well, okay, still no well, Jim. well, let me assure you, hearing cars passing and riding you know, alongside each other and all that is – so when I lived in Ocala, if I can sidetrack a little bit, yeah. Orlando is where the Golf Network is housed, and their radio broadcast come out of that area. And I was driving my car one day, and I kept hearing, and it was random like nothingness because they call it almost like it's on TV. Yeah. So they say something, then you hear the, the shot, and then they just wait, and then occasionally you might be able to hear it hit the green, but you, they don't give like a, well, I think he's hooked up. Interesting. Not, not a whole lot of talking as if you would on the radio. Uh, very interesting, uh, odd to to hear. I think Jim is going to uh, rejoin us here. There's Tiger, giving the woos. I'm a big woo guy. Jim's coming back here in a second. Two minutes and thirty seconds. Jim is not coming back. Jim's packed it in. We'd see anything that could rival the hug with his father in 1997. Now you're trying to make people cry. <laughs> okay, so you probably never called the moment as big as Tiger as the Wars. Masters. Yes, yeah, the correct, Masters, correct. probably not. not. So I love NASCAR and radio. Golf on the radio, I've never heard, but judging by what Tarico did, he was describing every single moment of he's over the putt, he hits it, and it's in Tiger Woods. And so then he describes what he's doing: two fists clenched, walking up through the patrons. It's just, it was pretty great. Uh, I don't know if silence is exactly the way I would have gone. With day two of the Gulf Coast Showcase, I'm not sure how much it added to this moment. After this tournament, I may ask Coach if they're debating on redshirting him or not. And I don't know really if you have to, right? It's a free year. I'm going to ask him how that works. Seems like if it's a free year for everybody, I don't think you have to do any of that. And I did ask him, and he's not, because you don't have to. Pulling a Jim Nance here and just letting the moment build. <laughs> Can you not hear the the music and the palpable hue of anticipation? Are you there, Jay? This is what I often ask when I hear nothing. Is Jay? Is Jay I see the tie line still connected. Jay, where are you? 
You don't hear the music in the build? The Bucks in the road leader <laughs> for Silas okay. Decky in the jump circle. All three officials. We've 35 seconds. Sitton, James, Durham, the officials, that's great. Orland. 35 seconds uh, pregame no, as we're going Keith, towards tip-off. Keith, Keith Moreland. It was the last game. Was the last game? Okay. I thought it was the second game. Either I, way. I, I'm not sure that I don't it's think so early Keith in Moreland the season. Mm-hmm. Not, not exactly the I mean, my thir- my, So here I was going this. My third game, I'm tired. Okay. It's three in a row. I don't know what you want out of me. Okay. So the players. You to work a lot, apparently. I think Ladarius Brewer said after the third game that it wasn't tough playing three in a row, but broadcasting three in a row. Oh, oh yeah. Very, way better shape than me. Have you seen me? Yeah, that's a fair point. Okay. Although, yeah, you did not exactly. Uh, we'll get to bold predictions in that bumper of you losing 30 pounds in, during quarantine. That did not happen. I think this was day one. Let's rewind to day one of the Golf Coast Showcase. Coach, we appreciate the time, and uh, I'll be talking to you tomorrow to preview that Austin game. All right, great. Thanks, Jay. It's, co- it's comments from Ed Coach. Jason and Shay will step aside for a time. When we come back, we'll go to the studio. I thought you liked the box. Yeah. You must have cut Jason Shay off like five times on the go box. I finally figured it out. <laughs> okay. He's going to say go box. He's going to say it. The end of everything. That's that's uh, that's his thing. I Why don't, don't you like I the Buccaneers anymore? I don't know. I, I, I certainly am quick on the trigger on cutting coaches off, so I don't <laughs> have to hear the headset slam on the table. And you definitely have to. Well, that's fair, and I'm really bad at that. I always have the slam of the headset on the table. I This is my favorite. I'm saving this one for our next segment, Bowl oh, Predictions, geez. because it's just too perfect. Someone check to see if I still had a brain. Ah, so when you get a bold prediction wrong, it will obviously be... Someone check to see if I still had a brain. That was in regards to the testing, I believe, because from what you were describing, the swab was, there was let's just say, fully inserted. Let, let's just say at some point in time, everyone tried to avoid the station on the end with the older lady because there was a, how far can the Q-tip go? Ugh. And then we're going to live there for a long time. Ah. I mean, eye-watering. I the, the other ones aren't pleasant that I had done, but I thought a few of the guys were just not real tough, which is funny come from me, and then when I saw our strength coach, because I was in line next to go there, when I saw him with just, he's choking up and tear coming out of that side, I think it was his right side, and I was like, I don't know, he goes, buddy, uh, you need to get somebody else, but it was too late, he was like, hey, you're up, and then, oof, it was... It, it, because the first couple of days it was let's stick the Q-tip as far as we can, circle, circle. Then they like start to pull it out as they circle around their nostril all the way out. That one went all the way in, circled for what felt like 20 seconds, and and then just pulled straight out. Like there was no like okay, it's going to be brutal here, and then we'll back it out. It's just going to be totally brutal. So yes, and I realized after I said that 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 was going to make the board because I've been doing this long enough to know sometimes you say <laughs> things and you're like. God, it's I had a feeling that that uh, it's on the board. There Here's my question: You have tests like that, and you have so many of them. Is there like some risk of brain injury when they go up there? Like, I can't imagine your brain is that far away from uh, deep into your nasal canal. Right. I mean, I I, I don't know. Did you feel brain contact? <laughs> I don't, well, since I don't know brain contact, I was like, I, I do not. But so I, I check to see if I still had a brain. I, I'm not real sure. I've to I've checked with some medical people that are smarter than us. I don't know if you can actually get to the brain from there, but mm. you may. You may be able to. It felt like they did. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Felt like it went past the eye and just kept going. So it was it was brutal. Great double prediction. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. This is it. 
calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Wake Forest, capital L-O-L. Steve Forbes most certainly will be back. Book it in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear the best part of that? Uh, crack myself up. Okay. You, you want to have another good chuckle? Okay. So I've had this black Nike jacket forever that uh, probably we, seen it at some point. Yeah. Right. But that that, that we uh, that the school actually purchased for everybody one year. Yeah. And so we all have these matching black jackets. And last year I couldn't. It wouldn't zip anymore. Struggling, I was like, "Holy cow! Like, I've, I've got to do something. Got to lose weight." So I didn't lose thirty. I've lost like four, but I thought at least jacket's gonna fit. I can at least zip the thing. Couldn't zip it this morning. Mm. Sitting there and beside myself, couldn't zip it. Take the jacket off, frustration. Throw it down, and then something caught my eye, and I picked the jacket up. We had a trainer a few years ago left and gave my wife all of her stuff. I was wearing the medium. Instead of the extra large last year and this year. So I put the extra large on. <laughs> it's great. Really? I ate an extra sausage biscuit. I'm oh, pretty good about wow. myself. Of course. So, so 30 pounds down, not going to happen anytime No, soon. not anymore. So Sit in the jacket. I have a proposal before we get to the predictions that actually ended up coming true or false. Uh, you predicted that Vanderbilt <laughs> yes, was yes. going to beat Tennessee in football. Now, that that's, game ended up that, not being played. That's right. Throw it out the door. You'd like that, wouldn't you? Because Vanderbilt... On a week that they were dressing, and as it turned out, she did participate. Only on a kickoff, though. Sarah Fuller, uh, the first female to participate in a Power 5 football game. They don't even get within field goal range to allow her to try a field goal. Shut out, Derek Mason fired. The Jay Sandoz curse of predicting a good thing for a school, organization, team, and then the immediate aftermath has never been more evident than with Derek Mason's firing after Vandy was shut out by their replacement opponent, Missouri. I think that you knew that game had been – here's what I'm going with. You knew the game – Someone still had a brain? You knew the game had been canceled. Wasn't going to tell me I needed to get a new bold prediction out. Then you saw that Vandy – I don't – did they cross midfield? I mean, it was like 45, 41-45, nothing, whatever it was. It was it was a disgusting display. Derek Mason will not be there next year when ETSU goes to play Vandy to start the year uh, next season in the fall, assuming everything continues to go the way it is. Um, so I think it should be canceled because it's, it's you know, I, I'm all for gamesmanship, but I feel like that was a dirty trick by you. Here is where I will actually agree with you, but it doesn't come without stipulations. Okay. I had Baltimore and Pittsburgh scoring 55 or more combined points, despite them being two of the top three defenses in the league. That was made Monday. Lamar Jackson ruled out midweek. I think Mark Andrews is also out because I think he tested positive for COVID. His top target, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews' connection is phenomenal. Has been great all season in fantasy football. Uh, 55 or more is not going to happen without Lamar Jackson for Baltimore. So, considering that you didn't know, despite the fact that Vanderbilt's horrific and Tennessee probably would beat them by more than Missouri beat them by, despite the fact that you made a horrible prediction and what ended up being an even worse prediction probably than things turned out for Vanderbilt – I am willing to mark both of those off and not give either of us losses since we were victims of the early-in-the-week bold prediction that changed drastically as the week went along. I, I don't know why you stopped there and just don't, just don't call it a win. 
And then uh, we're only going to have like five wins all year. <laughs> well, somebody got a victory uh, this weekend. A freshman leads ETSU women's basketball in scoring. Mike Gallagher, put it on the ball. Smartest man alive. He's the smartest man in the universe. Oh, buddy. One victory in week one. Ja'Kaya Davis, you are the best. I appreciate your efforts. You have gotten me and the ETSU women's basketball team, more importantly, a victory. Bold Predictions is back with a victory. You not so much, though. How about the Jets? Look good. The Jets. Look good. See if I still had a brain. 20-3, the loss? Did Sam Darnold start or was it Flacco? No, it was Darnold. Why did they keep starting Darnold? He is so much worse than Can Joe Can get Flacco. rid of Adam Gase? I mean, oh. And, and then, and then uh, Darnold will become Tannehill. That's, that's going to be my new take. Wow. That's my new take. It's the reverse... Gase. That's amazing. Get away from Gase. Gase. Yeah. Get away from Gase. Get an actual real coach around you. Boom. I mean, Tannehill's stats since he's come over to Tennessee, they showed it during the game yesterday. It was like 20-some starts, 44 touchdowns to nine interceptions or something ridiculous. Like quarterback rating through the roof, well over 100. Uh, if that happens, the fact that's, that Adam Gase is not the quarterback whisperer but the – everything you touch turns to garbage and then gold after you're gone, um, that would be pretty incredible. But uh, regardless of the Jets I'll, and Adam I still, Gates, I still deserve every yeah. I still had a brain. Terrible. Yeah, Absolutely ahead, awful. Wrong. I'm with you. Uh, Vanderbilt, we talked about. That's going to be marked off. Men's basketball average is 75 or more. Unfortunately, both of us missed our men's basketball predictions. You said 75 or more per game. Things just didn't go and unfold the way we thought they would with the offense versus the defense. We thought that the offense would be ahead of the defense. As it turns out, the defense is ahead of the offense for ETSU men's basketball. I said that the Brewers, Ladarius and Ty, would combine for 100 points or more during the tournament. wasn't a horrible prediction. They do combine for 74. do end up being the Bucks' two leading scorers coming out of the Gulf Coast Showcase, uh, but 26 short of what I needed. Uh, unfortunate for me uh, because I really thought the Brewers were going to carry a bit more of the load, but... Uh, Ladarius, I think, did his thing. He gave me 15.3 a game. Ty is maybe a bit behind where uh, Ladarius is, but I think Ty had a decent weekend as well. 42% from the floor, hit four threes, of course, three of them in that first half. Um, which first half was that? I can't remember. Is that the second game, Austin P, I believe yes. it was? Yeah, yes, the second Ty game, he hits three the three threes, and then four or five from the line at 15 rebounds. I think for the Brewers, it's a good start. Not quite to the level I thought offensively, but uh, all in all, very encouraging to see what they did. What are you looking at, New York Jets stats? No, I was, I was actually thinking about how the Patriots, because they actually hold the tiebreaker with the Dolphins, Ravens, Raiders, that oh, if they get it. in a four-way tie, they're in the playoffs. Stop it. Four-way tie. Do you know who they've lost to? Teams behind them, Broncos, 47. Broncos, I believe it was like, so that was 18-12. to 12. Didn't they no, no, lose no. to? No, no, no. In Houston, 4-7. Didn't two. they lose to San Francisco, like 33-6 to six at home or something? Wasn't that San Francisco? Yeah, San Francisco, 5-6. Yeah. So the, the playoff teams they played? Other than Buffalo and Kansas City, beaten. And, and let me just make sure that you're, sti- you're still holding out hope. Regardless no, no, they're, they're, in the, they're, they're in the playoffs. They're, they're in the playoffs. Okay, well. They're going to get a four-way tie. They'll win all the tiebreakers. You're That's a huge Cam Newton guy. You've never even heard of Tom Brady. Uh, who? Newton. That's my guy. All right. Friday, we're going to recap the Tennessee women's game. It'll be more of a fun show because we don't have another game until Tuesday. But you can join us. Santa Sotkit. Sotkit is right now, Cowboy up, go play ball.